So um, this morning, what I, I just want to share some kind of thoughts uh, of what I feel God is doing right now, not even at Border City Church, but in the perhaps in the grander scheme of things right now. And uh, I think that we live in exciting times. And, um, and I want to walk in what God is doing and just want to speak into, I think, a key of what it is to walk in what God's doing, which is simply to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, not by our own understanding. And so I just want to speak into that to encourage us and bolster us in that skill um, but uh, ultimately, we need to make way, you know, we, uh, we need to make way for the spirit to lead and not our own understanding and our own flesh. And so to give opportunity to turn our hearts from one to the other, to, to repent and to, and to just make way for the Lord to do what he wants to do. Are you with me on that? I, I don't want to faff around with this life that we have called church and wait for Jesus to return. I want my life to count, and uh, I can't make it count. Only Jesus can, and so I just want to make way. So Jesus um, is doing some stuff. This week, uh, we had the privilege of seeing a movie called, uh, in fact, this weekend, Jesus Revolution, and if you have not seen this movie, can I say, spare no expense, do whatever it takes to go see this movie uh, it is so when I first became a Christian, just being real with you, um, I came into contact or into exposure of Christian contemporary music and uh, and Christian media in general, movies and whatnot. Can I just be for real with you? I was not very impressed. Uh, most of it is full of kind of cliche overly simplified, way under budgeted, just kind of stuff that doesn't inspire me, and it certainly doesn't um, reflect what it is that I've experienced in God. And uh, so I'm very much into media. I love music. I love movies. I love the power that a movie has to, in a sense, transport you out of your kind of space and to experience something. Um, and to, to feel something, to see something, to understand something. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I remember feeling years ago, we as the church have the most compelling experience that a person can ever experience. How can we not get this captured in a movie? And I want to tell you, as I sat there, whatever night it was, I saw the experience of the new birth being captured and illustrated and portrayed with power in a, in a movie um, that was just, I felt amazing. But what I want to say, so this movie, Jesus Revolution, it is a actual real story of something that happened, some of you would remember it or, or at least know about it, in the late 60s, early 70s of a of the hippies, you remember pot-smoking, acid-dropping hippies back in the, some of you might have been one anyways, uh, there was a whole movement that happened at the very end of that as kind of the hippiedom kind of began to come to a collapse right around the time of some the famous deaths of some hippies, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, and um, Brian Jones, and uh, who else? Jimi Hendrix, they all died at 27. And then, you know, some other catastrophes happened uh, in the, right around 1970. And right at that time, the, the hippies were ripe. They realized this trip that they had been on was leading nowhere, and a whole bunch of them started getting saved. 
but they did not look like typical Christians. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and uh, they, they found no entry into the traditional church. And so it was like there all these people getting saved and born again and filled with the Spirit, but the church didn't know what to do with them until one man, Chuck Smith, opened up his door to a group of them and thus started a revival that became an entire movement that impacted a generation and still has ripple effects down to this day. And uh, so it's about a revival, something that God did uh, during a season. And what is amazing to me is this is released right as a revival, true blue revival, hit Asbury University in Kentucky. And for two weeks, without stop, round the clock, after one chapel service, thousands of people, and especially students, came to this chapel thing to just pour their heart out to the Lord and to worship and to praise and to repent and to turn and to make way for the Lord. And it has now gone around the world. People are coming from all over the world to this university to experience what God is doing there. You tell me God's not doing something that this movie is released right when that happens. And so this has begun to spawn revival outbreaks all over the place. I'm seeing it with some of my friends, other churches. There's something that God is doing uh, right now during this time. And even us, it's not like we coordinated this, but you know, some of you would know that we had a training in the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit just a couple weeks ago. And some of you were touched by that. And there, even last week, there was a release of of people coming forward, the release of the prophetic gifts, the move of the Spirit. I think we experienced something of that this morning during worship. Uh, there's a wind of the Spirit that is blowing, and that is what I want to speak into just for a few minutes and then provide a space for us just to make, make way. Good? So uh, the Spirit, I just want to say a couple things. The Spirit, um, co- Spirit Connection is is vitally important spirit connection in our christianity sometimes it can be about simply going through motions just reading the bible for example and believe you me i am a advocate of reading the bible don't hear what i'm not saying but if the bible is the end goal we're missing something the bible points us It directs our heart to the one who spoke those words. And it points us ultimately to an encounter with the one who spoke those words. That is what we're seeking for. I'm not saying that we're seeking after experiences. And yet, I am saying that we're seeking after him. And when we find him, it is an experience. Do you follow what I'm saying? I want him. And and so spirit connection is so important. We... we, uh, we, well, let me just read this. Psalms 42, verse 1. Listen to these words. This is written in the Old Testament. Before Jesus came, before there was a new covenant made, before the Spirit of God was poured out on the church, David, King David, who is known as a man after my own heart, God's own heart, says, writes these words in the middle of his agony and his trials and tribulations. He says, As the deer... Pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. The word pants 
there is really talking about not like huffing and puffing. It's the Hebrew word is talking about kind of like being on the lookout. Have you ever needed something bad like you're thirsty and your mouth is like dry and it's like you need water? Have you, do you ever experienced that before? Do you know what it's like to like look for water in that circumstance? It's like somebody tries to strike a conversation. It's like, get out of my way. I'll talk to you later. I need to go find that water fountain. Uh, and so a deer is it's, it's a survival mechanism, a survival instinct. As the deer pants for the water brooks, David says, so pants my soul for you, O God. I want to ask ourselves a question. What could that possibly mean? What does he mean, my soul pants for you? What does that look like? What is that even talking about? Well, if I think it all the way through, I can hardly come up with any explanation other than I want to be connected. I want presence, encounter, connection with you. In the core of my being, I want to be in your presence. Surely that's got to be what it is. So pants my soul after God. And he goes on to say, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We're not talking about a God who is just an image or a God that we read about in the Bible. No, this is a living God, somebody who is alive and speaking and doing things. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come out and appear before God. And again, that word appear means to stand before, to discern, to understand, to perceive, to be before, to be in his presence. And so let me ask ourselves the question. Can, can, can I ask all of us, including myself, to ask ourselves the question, can we really say together with David those same words? Is it true of us that as the deer pants for water, my soul longs for you. Can I ask or perhaps suggest that if that's not the case, maybe other things have gotten in the way. Maybe we have been derailed by the pressures of life, by the trials and tribulation of life, by the cares of this world, by the anxieties, and we have allowed our heart to lose focus of this one that is everything. I want to say that's not to condemn us. That is to point our heart to what can and should be, even this morning. To come back to that place where our soul pants for the Lord. That same David also wrote in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Who here needs fullness of joy this morning? Can I get both hands up? In your presence is fullness of joy. That's, that's what we really are needing and seeking after. Some, you know, we're all seeking. We all are longing. You know, we're all longing to be loved. That Jesus Revolution movie that I talked about, uh, one of the guys who is today 70, who was a young hippie back in the day, he said, you know what? 
so much of what we were looking for in the guy that kind of led it. His name's Chuck Smith. He died in 2013. Amazing pastor. So much of what we were looking for was a good dad. You know, the hippies were looking to be loved and, and to be cared for and directed and, and, and led. And that's in every single one of our hearts. In your presence is fullness of joy. What I'm trying to say is to point out what is perhaps should be the obvious, but we so easily forget it. That thing that we're searching for, it's found in him. In his presence. Not just church and religion and reading the Bible. It's found in his presence. Seeking and finding him. Can I just juxtapose Christianity with spiritual connection and Christianity when we try to do it without spiritual connection. So when we do it with spiritual connection, I mean without spiritual connection, it tends to be dry doctrine and beliefs. When it's with spiritual connection, it's heavenly visions of living truth. When we do it without spiritual connection, it's good works, doing the good stuff. You know, some of us should pat ourselves on the back. We went to church today. Isn't that so good? We're such good Christians. Where it's good works, but when it's with spirit connection, it's God's works. As Peter said last week, Christ living in and through me. With spir- without spiritual connection is human goodness. But with spiritual connection, we walk in the power of the spirit. Without spiritual connection... We only trust that God is here. It's only trusting God is here. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, we don't feel him, we don't th- but we do trust that God is here. We trust in, because we believe in the doctrine of omnipotence. God is everywhere, so he's here. But with spiritual connection, we oftentimes experience his presence. Without spiritual connection, we, all we have is the written word. That's all it's about, is the written word of God. The Bible, knowing the word, knowing the word. But with spiritual connection, God's spirit makes his word come alive. Without spiritual connection, it's distant. With spiritual connection, it's intimate. Without spiritual connection, we are influenced by what we see and understand. But with spiritual connection, we become influenced by his voice from within us. So let me just kind of share a little bit about you know, the spiritual connection, how we can cultivate it in our lives. First of all, I just want to say our true way of really serving God and worshiping is through spiritual connection. The crazy thing is to serve God, this is the crazy thing. We can't serve God. We can't do it. That what we need to do to serve God can only be done by God. How unfair is that? (laughs) God dies for us so that we can even connect with them at all. And then he, once we connect with them, leads us to do things that he empowers us to do. All we do is obey and step out and do it. He does it, and then he rewards us as if we've been the ones to do it. Where's the, where's the righteousness in this? That the only one who's truly holy dies for those who are unholy and credits us with his righteousness and he becomes sin for us and suffers the wrath on our behalf. <laughs> That's just the crazy thing about God. But we, can, we can't serve God. God's not, what I'm getting at is God's not looking for our efforts and all the good things that we can try to do for him. 
He actually wants us to abide, as Peter said last week. Abide with him. And as we abide in connection with him, we sense what he's saying to us. And as we put all the burdens that we carry aside and just receive what is he speaking to us, what's he doing in us, what's he leading us, and just focus on that and give ourselves to that, he does through us what only he can do. That's how we serve God. So uh, several years ago, when I, when I was in college, and I was having my own little Jesus revolution, I prayed and fasted for the first time ever. Uh, we had a corporate fast that the church had called, and uh, we were encouraged to find things that we were wanting to ask God for and trust God for. And I had three things that I was trusting God for. The first thing is I knew I was going to, on summer break, and I knew that a lot of college students, when they go home for the summer, they meet up with old friends, they get back into old ways, they walk away from the Lord, and then they come back, and they're backslidden, and they're no longer in, in church. And I was like, I shudder to think, but I knew that, that could, there's a very real possibility for me, so I was asking God to protect me and to keep me from doing that. Number two was breakthrough in some sin issues in my life, and number three, I wanted my parents to meet the Lord. And I began, in all three of those things, God most miraculously came through in, in amazing ways. But when I was fasting, I was up in my dorm room, freshman year, college, and uh, I had never fasted before. And it was a miracle. If you know me and my relationship to food, you know, like, this is, this is a big deal. And uh, I was in my dorm room. I shared it with, with somebody. They were not there. They were not Christians. And I locked that door. And I began to just pray. And as I began to pray into these things, these issues, I just began to connect with the Spirit of God. It was like I just began to sense the presence of the Lord. And I had faith in my heart as I was praying over each of those three issues. And, uh, and what would begin to rise up inside of me, some of you might, anyways, what began to rise up inside of me was to celebrate like I somehow knew in my knower, in my innermost being, that, I, that, that the Lord had already done it and that I need to celebrate it before I've even seen the answers to these prayers. Just go ahead and begin to celebrate because I knew in the realm of the Spirit, this stuff was already done. And so I got up and because I was going to this church and, and people like would dance and stuff like that, I, I kind of had broken into the reality that maybe that's something that's good. And it's in the Bible, it talks about dancing and singing and shouting. And, and so I just began to, to dance and it just, it was more than just doing it because the church people were doing it. I was feeling it up in my spirit. Do you follow what I'm saying? It was like I would, I would have to suppress it to not do it. And it just felt like the right thing. I started dancing and I remember as I was dancing, I just had this like, sense that I was putting the work of the devil under my feet as I celebrated and trusted and celebrated for something that I didn't see with my eyes, but I saw by my spirit. And I, and I be, just began to celebrate and, and, and all that. And, and uh, as I said before, what ended up happening is my parents, I, I had amazing opportunities to share the, the, the gospel with my parents. My mom got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit that summer. Uh, my dad has been on a long journey, but the last couple times that we've talked with him, it's very clear he has had an encounter with Jesus. Um, God has delivered me from some of the sin stuff that I was uh, dealing with. And not only did I not backslide, that was probably the biggest four months of growth in my life going back to, to Atlanta for that summer and just seeking the Lord. 
what I'm getting at is connection with the Spirit. Do you follow what I'm saying? It was like giving myself to the Spirit through prayer and fasting in that particular case, and not just going through the motions of prayer and fasting, but connecting in the Spirit realm and allowing the Spirit to lead me even in prayer. There is power in that. And in the similar way, if you look with me in John chapter 4, Jesus addresses this very issue that is so fundamental to the new covenant that we've been called to live in and walk in. He's talking to this, you may know the story, a Samaritan lady. And uh, he's passing through Samaria. Not some area, Samaria. And uh, if you don't know, Jews during that time were not supposed to mix with Samaritans. It was really wrong of Jesus to not only be mixing with a Samaritan, but a woman. you got to understand the historical context and the cultural context. He's talking to a woman. Don't be offended, ladies. It's just the way it was back in then. That was offensive on multiple levels. And uh, she's drawing water from a well, and he strikes up this conversation. And uh, in verse 21, we'll just start there. It said, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Now, again, to give you some idea of what he's talking about, they were in Samaria on Mount Gerizim where there were where, where some things had happened with their ancestor Jacob, their common ancestor Jacob, and they believed, the Samaritans, that that was where they were supposed to worship God, was on that mountain. Meanwhile, the Jews had been directed by God, had legitimately been directed by God, to set up the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And that, that is where the, the worship of the one true God was supposed to happen, under the old covenant. And so Jesus is saying to the woman, believe me, the hour is coming and it is right now. It's already begun, heralds Jesus, that you will neither worship on this mountain nor even in Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says here. You worship what you don't know. Why is he saying that? Because the Samaritans were off in their worship of God. They were worshiping the same God, Yahweh, Jehovah, but they had some stuff mixed up. He says, you worship what, we, what, you, uh, what you do not know. We, the Jews, know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and truth. In spirit. And how many in the church today, how many Christians only try to worship God by truth? The Bible, we believe and we profess the right things and we say all the right things. But what about worship that can only be generated by the Spirit inside of us? And can I say that we were meant to connect with a God who is a Spirit and He can only be connected Spirit to Spirit. How do I know that? If you'll read along with me. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What am I talking about? 
You remember that story of me dancing as I was fasting? That's the influence of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God that makes the things of God alive to you. How does that happen? When your heart turns to the Lord and you are seeking Him, yielding to Him, turning from all that could possibly defile or all that would oppose Him and surrendering your heart to Him. That is where you open up a channel of spirit connection between you and God. That is what we must have in order to even know what to do with our lives. To know what to do today. To know what God is saying. And to be honest with you, half the time, even when God's speaking, it still feels like we're in an otherwise dark realm and we're just going off of this thing that we've been feeling. you know. But even to have that inkling that God seems to use uh, as, as we step out on what he calls us to do, it first happens through encounter with him, through the true worship. And so just a couple other points. I want to, you know, just point out how Jesus, um, Jesus relied entirely on the Spirit. And then, and then just walk us through a scripture to help us to know how, what we can do today. But Jesus' ministry began with the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because whatever it is that God has purposed for your life, if Jesus' ministry began with the Holy Spirit, connection with the Spirit, how much more would the purpose that God has for your life and my life begin with this connection that we're talking about? And so can we just turn this morning from all of our efforts, all the things that we try to do in our own strength, and get back to it's what David said, my soul pants after it longs for God as a deer pants for water. I want to be with you. I want to connect with you. I want to know you. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want, to, I, want to have, I want to have your spirit overwhelm me. I want to connect with you. I want to receive from your spirit. I want to be led by your spirit. That's how this thing happens. So uh, Isaiah 61 verse 1. So, maybe some of you have heard this passage of scripture once or twice. Uh, Jesus quoted it at the very beginning of his ministry and uh, when he started his ministry, but I'll read it to you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. We as the church, we tend to be very, very in favor of this idea of the gospel going out, the word of God. People should hear the gospel. People should be saved. People need to hear the gospel but can we say that it's not just the gospel, it's anointed to preach the gospel. And I would even say most Christians, including those who don't believe in the present day gifts of the Spirit, are still comfortable, definitely comfortable with the gospel. That's cool. Anointed, probably still comfortable with that. The idea that the Holy Spirit can anoint the preaching of the gospel. But can I say that before all of that, it begins with the Spirit of the Lord God being upon me. That's not just a theory. That's not just a doctrine. Yes, the Spirit is upon me because I believe it. The Bible says so. That is a, I assure you, Jesus experienced the activity of the Holy Spirit. There was a moment in Jesus' life, we referenced it a, 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 few days, a few weeks ago, where Jesus is praying to, for the healing of a blind person in Bethsaida, and uh, he leads him out of the town, 
And then he takes, uh, he, he, he goes to the man and he spits in his eyes. And he, <laughs> and he asks him to open his eyes. And, and the guy, and he says, what do you see? And he says, you know, I can kind of see vague stuff. He actually says, I see men walking like trees. In other words, he couldn't make out their shape, but they were like things, objects that he could see. And then he put his hands on his eyes and prayed for him. Let me ask you, how did Jesus know to do that? How did he know to spit on somebody's eyes? Because of the verse we just read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. There is, Jesus is, is receiving inspiration and leading from a spirit that you cannot see because the Spirit of God is upon him. And I want to say, if you and I are open, that same spirit wants to direct us. And, and, and we don't need a theological degree to be led by the Spirit. We need to have a heart that is hungry enough to say yes, Lord, to whatever he's doing. That's it. It is Daniel 10.32 says, those who know their God will display strength and do exploits. Not those who have the theological training. Not those who have all their ducks in a row. Not, all, not those who have worked, walked perfectly and have no sin in their lives. No. Those who know him. Know him. And so, uh, how do we increase this? Well, there is an issue of repentance. And, and, you know, this thing that has been happening that maybe, maybe you want to call it revival, whatever it is that happened at Asbury, whatever happened in the Jesus Revolution back in the late 60s, early 70s, where repentance is at, is at, the, is, is like at the center of it. Jesus is at the center of it, but the way to kind of get into it is to repent. And, and so let's understand what repentance is. Uh, but can I even say what Jesus started and what's being the church and the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, it was a call to repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is simply this. This is all it is. Walking this way, seeing that God's will is actually that way, and saying, I turn and I go this way. It is, it is that simple. I was addicted to some things early in my life. I began to discern by the Spirit of God that God's way is not that, and I was willing to repent, turn, release that thing from my life, ask for God's help, and start pursuing His way. Early in my life, whether it was uh, substance abuse, whether it was pornography addiction, whether it was, you know, fear of speaking like we've talked about, all of those things, that's what it is. Repentance does not mean you have to grovel in how pathetic you are and get God to... It's just turning. It's changing your mind is actually what the, me- the word means. So in Acts 3.19, let's just end here. This is the conclusion of Peter's second, the Apostle Peter's second recorded message. Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Do you guys mind if I preach from a phone here this morning? Because of the, uh, the uh, ice storm that we had, had a tree limb fall, and we don't have an internet thing, and so I couldn't print my several. So I'm, 
going to hold a phone in front of you. So let's, let's reverse engineer the scripture I just read to you. It says that whom heaven must receive, Jesus, must, heaven must receive Jesus until the times of restoration of all things. That's talking about the return of Jesus. Heaven must receive Jesus. In other words, allow him in. Have him abide in heaven up until the time that he comes back to the earth. Would you agree with that? And so if you go back before that, the restoration of all things, uh, and that heaven must receive him, it says that he may send Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive until the time of Jesus Christ. So if, if heaven has received him and Jesus is seated at a throne in heaven, how is he being sent to people? How does that work? He's sitting at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. How is, how is God sending Jesus? He already sent him. You want to take a wild guess? The Spirit. That's what this is talking about. There is no other explanation. That the Spirit sends, it's the Spirit of Christ, and is sent to human beings, i.e. John David, Paul, Elsie, Sandra, etc., etc. That's the idea, is that Jesus would be sent, but let's go back before that. What happens as a result of, of Jesus being sent? The presence of the Lord bringing refreshing. That refreshing might come, that times of refreshing would come in the presence of the Lord. Jesus' presence brings refreshing. So when we're repenting, we're not just like giving something up. We're actually grabbing a hold of something way better. And if you don't understand that, it's going to be really hard to repent. Repentance is all about turning from one thing that holds you down so that a way is made open for you to receive from God what's going to lift you up into his thing and cause you to be able to testify to this fallen world of his goodness. That's the whole idea. And then that your sins may be blotted out, that you may be converted, and ultimately it begins with repent, therefore. That's where it begins. And let me, I've already just alluded to it, but just to quickly say again, repentance is very simply making way for God's will to come about. Matthew 4.17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I used to struggle with that because we don't talk that way in, in, in this generation, even back in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid. We didn't, I never said, a, hey, can you grab that? Uh, I believe it's at hand. Like, so I, I honestly, I did, when I first became a Christian, I, I read that and I was like, what does that even mean? The kingdom of God is at hand. Let me, most of you in this room probably already well know, but in case you like me, let me explain. It is at hand, within arm's length. It is now able to be grabbed. And so what Jesus is saying is repent because what I have done in coming into the earth has opened the way for you to be able to lay hold and grab of the kingdom of heaven, but you can't grab a hold of it unless you first repent. I cannot walk in sexual purity unless I repent of sexual immorality. I cannot walk in the power of God unless I repent of trying to do things in my own strength. I cannot walk in whatever it is that God has unless I allow my heart to turn from what it is that it's holding on to in this earth wrongly. And so I believe it is what God's doing 
Uh, and this time calls us to hunger as the deer pants for the water, hunger for him. And so I wonder if we could just take a moment right now, just to right where you are, just to uh, turn your heart to the Lord and let us come back to that place of hunger, that place of radical willingness. Can we, can we agree this morning together with our maker, together with our God? There is no other thing to pursue. Whatever reason that we have to not pursue him is 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 a lie. It's irrelevant. It's useless. There's only one thing to pursue, and it is him. And here's the reality, my friends. God wants to send what some people call revival. But what is revival? Revi- we are not searching revival. I'm not, my heart is not seeking revival. My heart is seeking God. But what, what is revival? Revival is simply this. It's when the church begin to pursue God wholeheartedly once again so that God can do through them whatever he wants to do. That is what revival is. You and I have that opportunity at any time. I don't even believe, I honestly don't believe God sends revival. I don't believe it. I believe the church wakes up and begins to seek him and connects with what he's already always been doing. He wants to manifest himself in power to a fallen generation that people would be saved when I saw that movie, Jesus' Revolution, my, I, there was a moment where there was a baptism that happened, and I want to tell you, I, I, I began to sob silently in my, in my chair. I began to sob because the, the Holy Spirit just began to kind of fall upon me, and the, the simple reality that God died, that people would be made alive. And Jesus died that I know what it is to be born again and Jesus has died for that to happen to everybody can we wake up again to the heartbeat of God to be to to be compelled by that love so Lord we 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 turn to you right now Lord we turn to you God just in your own in your own chair right where you are just begin to turn to the Lord